Good morning to all of you. Thank you so much for being present. Today is the final message in our vulnerable series, so I want to end the series on a really happy note and talk about suffering. (laughs) Thank you. That's your last opportunity for a laugh today. It's a necessary topic, and it's a doubly important one as we enter into the season of the suffering of Jesus, as we enter just a few days from now into the season of Good Friday and Sad Saturday and then on our way to Easter. We begin with the stark words from Luke chapter 9, verses 51. This is a fascinating passage. If you could chart sort of the the flow of the Gospel of Luke, you would say that this is the crest at Luke 9.51. Because right at the crest of this passage, it says the following. It says, Jesus resolutely, as the time approached for him to take up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely determined it's time. It's time for me to go to Jerusalem. And going to Jerusalem... Jesus entirely knew what that meant. That meant that he would suffer. That meant his time on the cross was coming. That meant that the agony of those days was coming upon him. It meant that he understood the betrayal of one of his disciples. It meant that the frailties of the other disciples would be very much a part of his reality. He knew all of those things were coming. But from that word resolutely, we understand that Jesus set his face to do this. He was utterly determined to determined to give his life for the sake of the sins of all of humanity. Determined to suffer and to, and to die. Determined to do this. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, could have turned away from this task. He could have changed his mind. But it goes back to the very words that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 in what's called the great Christological hymn of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, a hymn the early church sang. When Paul says, by making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being formed in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. This is why he came. And Luke 9:51 says, the time is now here. He resolutely set his face to go to what met him in Jerusalem. The sovereign God in this moment has now become the suffering God. Even God turned his face away. And even Jesus cried out those sad, sad words when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's almost hard for our limited imaginations to understand this separation, this momentary separation from the Father and the Son. But maybe you do understand it. Because I'd ask you the question, have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt forsaken? in a season of extreme doubt or pain or brokenness or difficulty or suffering, have you ever felt forsaken by God? It's not an uncommon experience, and you're no less of a Christian if you've ever had that thought. 
because it's really painful and it's tough to find faith in those moments. Let's just name the issue. No one likes to suffer. And a lot of us have grown up into a Christian world which teaches us that being a Christian will basically be a passport to a pain-free life. I wish it were so, but it's not. There are quite a few preachers and teachers who will tell us that if you just have enough faith, you will always be prosperous and well, and that works great until you're not prosperous and you're not well. Suffering can be avoided by the things that we avoid doing, but all suffering cannot be avoided. And it can't be avoided by just believing the right things or writing checks to the right preacher. It isn't the case that we're going to have pain-free lives. So let's get to the bottom line of this. Every day in our world, every day, tens of thousands of people experience tragedies. Some of them are right near us, and some of them are all over the world. They experience tragedies, many from war, from famine, from some other kind of evil or disaster. And if you're one of those tens of thousands of people who on this day is suffering from something, then I hope this message is helpful to you. It's human beings have an amazing psychological capacity to do something. And I guess we're designed this way in part to sort of protect us from overt fear all the time. But there's something in our minds that tells us, I'm not going to suffer. That's something other people go through. Well, the truth is, one of these days we become the other people. And we suffer and we hurt. And whether that's a physical malady or something tragic that's happened in our lives, there has to be some way to get a grip on what God has to do with this whole notion of suffering. We usually think when we're suffering or we're tempted to think that it's for the poor people to suffer or for those who aren't careful or for those who have done something wrong. Well, they suffer, but so does everyone else. The great Christian writer and pastor Tim Keller a few years ago wrote an important book on suffering. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's a great book. I recommend it. Among the things he said in that, in that book is this quote, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful in our career, something inevitably will come along and ruin it. Now, after that quote, you're likely depressed, and you're ready to move on to another topic. And I'm almost there because it gets better. But we need to probe suffering and the meaning of it just a little bit longer. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who spent three years during World War II in a variety of prison camp experiences and Nazi death camps. He experienced unimaginable pain and misery in that experience, just unimaginable, as he watched other people suffer and die and himself suffer. He concluded that happiness was impossible in those kinds of conditions. 
but he discovered that finding meaning was possible. And though he came at it from a tradition of the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, we'd call it, he might as well have been speaking the Christian scriptures when he wrote about his experience after the war. His words echoed those of Jesus when Jesus said, blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. He experienced the meaning of the comfort that comes from God. If that isn't true, there's no way to square the circle of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. How else can you be blessed unless you're comforted? How else could it be that when we mourn, when we're in deep grief, when we're in deep pain, that God, the living God, the eternal God, actually comes closer to us. He comes beside us. He befriends us. And he comforts us as only he can. In seasons of suffering, whatever your suffering might have been, maybe you've discovered the same truth that other Christians have found over time. And here's the truth. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If we were a gathering of, of just secular people and we were talking about the subject of suffering, I would fully expect secular people, non-believing people, and they would be honest in feeling this way. If you were on the topic of suffering, if they would say, suffering to us just seems, frankly, stupid. It's pointless. It's, it's ridiculous. Why do we suffer? There's no good that could possibly come from suffering. The Christian faith sees it a different way. It's not just a dumb circumstance that happened, or it's not just something that's pointless. From the Christian perspective, in Tim Keller's words, we are pounded and shaped as if someone on an anvil with someone pounding an iron, a hammer, an iron hammer, bending us and shaping us and forming us into the person that we're called to be, into the image of the living God. As painful as that is, that's the reality. Suffering is that thing that puts us in the crucible of the pounding and the hammering and the change process that we go through internally and in our souls to meet the needs of suffering. In C.S. Lewis's words, which are absolutely brilliant, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. He shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's what suffering is. Keller made a, another interesting observation in that particular book. And it goes like this. He says, Jesus is perfect, right? I think all of us would agree Jesus is perfect. And yet there's an oddity about Jesus' life 
that comes out in all of the Gospels. Jesus goes around crying all the time. He weeps. That famous short verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept on many occasions. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. When he saw Jerusalem and the the mistreatment of it by the people and the money changers. He's angry. There's an emotional life to Jesus that we want to stuff down. But Jesus cried. Jesus had the tenderness to cry. He became the man of sorrows. Do you know why he became the man of sorrows? For the precise reason that he was perfect. Being perfect meant that he didn't dwell about himself. He didn't think about himself all day long. He didn't worry about the next thing for him. His mind was occupied with thoughts of other people. His mind was occupied with other people's needs and concerns and sadness. When you're not focused on your pain, you can experience the joy of the Lord in a new and fresh way. When you are not focused on your own pain, You become empathetic to other people's pain. When you're not focused on your own pain, you understand the joy then that comes from the gift of a loving God. When Jesus shed tears, it actually enhanced his joy, and it enabled him to feel his own grief without sinking into despair while he was concerned and fixated on the problems of the people around him. We can do the same thing. In those moments, we can become fully emotionally healthy. We can be actually dealing with the reality of being a human being on this earth, which is accompanied by some suffering. And we can say that suffering is something that's shaping us and moving us in the direction toward other people who are suffering. In less than two weeks, we will experience Good Friday. We'll experience Good Friday together in a worship service in this place. It's an odd name for a terrible day. I don't know who named it Good Friday, but if I'd have named it, I'd have named it something else. It was a bad day. And the Saturday that came was, at best, sad Saturday. The disciples were lost and confused, without hope, struggling, grieving. But Good Friday will come. And without it, our suffering would have no meaning and our sins would have no forgiveness. Somehow with the presence of God's grace, suffering can actually become a gift for us. It's something of a mystery, but we don't usually recognize the gift until suffering eases. And then we look back and say, somehow on the anvil of God's righteousness, My life has been shaped and formed in a new way, and my suffering was a gift. My suffering was a gift. That's hard to comprehend, but it's the truth. We don't usually recognize suffering as a gift. We certainly don't recognize it until it eases. But if you're someone now who is suffering, If you're suffering in silence, please know, please know that it's possible that this suffering you're going through can make you better and not more bitter, can make you stronger and not weaker, 
can make you more joyful and not make you miserable. It's a council of content that's just hard to get your arms around if you're in the middle of it. But it's true. And it's not a counsel of just toughening it out. Oh, there are times when you don't feel well, you have to just tough it out. That's probably a good thing to do. But the Stoic philosophers, that's all they would tell you you could do. If you're suffering, you just be miserable. That's the best you can do. Just tough it out. Our suffering is different than that. We believe our suffering is leading us somewhere better. It's leading us somewhat closer to God. It's leading us to a better understanding of our dependence upon the work of the living God in our life. Those are some of the purposes of suffering. But just be aware in your suffering, you're not alone. Not only is God with you, there is a community of people who are with you and who want to come alongside of you. And in that suffering, in some wondrous way, we actually become united with the sufferings of Jesus, which draw us ever more into his presence and into the reality of his life. The early Christians had more than their share of suffering. For about the first three centuries of the Christian movement, they suffered tremendous persecutions. It wasn't until late in the third century when those persecutions began to ebb. And in the second century, there were various plagues that came about in the cities of the Roman world. They were severe, they were contagious diseases, they were horrible things that were happening as thousands and tens of thousands of people were dying. But something odd happened. In the midst of those plagues, in the midst of those heartaches and struggles, most of the people in those large cities who were well just fled the cities. It's what I would have done. Get away from the plague. Go hide out until this thing passes. But there were Christians in those places. There were lots of Christians in those places. And they decided as the early church to say, we'll stay here. We'll minister to the needs of the sick. We will be with those who are suffering. We will be with them if they die, and we will be with them if they live, but we're staying. There's two realities about that from the second century. One is the birth of the, the movement of Christians involved in medical care. It's no accident that so many hospitals are hospitals of faith, of places of faith. And it's no accident that Christians simply understand that our role as people of the people of God is to be not just tougher people, we're no better than anyone else, but simply followers of the suffering Christ, and that that suffering is something that we can enter into and be the one who offers grace and mercy to those who are struggling. If you're suffering the present time, don't worry about changing the world. Don't worry about your responsibilities right now in the future. The counsel would simply be just draw close to the loving God. And as best you can, consider it an odd privilege to be able to unite your sufferings with those of the suffering God. Like the resurrection, 
your pain will one day end. The resurrection is the promise of what happened to Good Friday and Sad Saturday. The resurrection was reality. And the resurrection is reality for us, even in our suffering. Your pain will end, I don't know when, but I know how. Your pain will end by the grace of God, who in his own timing and in his own way will decide when the time of your experience in the furnace will end and you'll see light again and the pounding will stop and hope will grow. That's the promise of God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we prepare for a time of communion, where we experience by your Spirit's presence you in new and fresh ways. We thank you that you are as near to us as you could ever be. And you're right here with us. And that sometimes in seasons of suffering and pain, we actually experience this draw toward you. May that be so for any who are struggling today. God, as we come, come to this your table, we also come with people who probably have brought some pain upon ourselves, and we probably brought some pain to other people. So for just a moment, we confess our own sin, and we ask for your mercy and your cleansing, your wholeness, your gift of life, and we believe with John's words in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For this promise, we give you thanks as we prepare to meet you at the table. Through Christ our Lord, amen.